Welcome to the School of Unlearning. I'm your host, Elisa Haggerty. I've always believed in the power of questions. They create a gap, a space where we pause and begin to challenge the world around us. Without questions, we're stuck in the trance of life, a life given to us versus one created with agency. Your journey to rethink and unlearn the norms no longer serving you begins now. Hey, friends. In the first ever episode for the School of Unlearning podcast, woo! I sit down with my friend and NHL defenseman, Connor Carrick. Connor and I actually met years ago on Instagram. We're actually Instagram turned real life friends. One of the few success stories that social media can provide. I guess there's, there's a lot, but it's one of the few more meaningful ones in my life. Anyway, in this episode, we talk about a lot. We traverse childhood, pro sports in the NHL, and Connor reveals what he believes to be the secret weapon for the next generation of athletes. This episode is special to me as it bridges the gap between sports and spirituality, a less talked about gift that comes from playing team sports. Connor nudges us to curb our ego, shares his tips on how to settle into the present moment and stop pretending to be someone we really aren't. After nine seasons in the NHL, Connor finally lets his shoulders drop, which is a reminder he uses on the ice that allows him to tap into flow state so he can play his best hockey. And I have a sneaky feeling that whether you play pro sports or not, this episode will empower you to redefine success and find agency in your life. Here we go. Welcome, Connor, to the School of Unlearning podcast. I'm going to give you a minute intro, and then we're going to dive in. Okay. So I met Connor friends uh, years ago through Instagram and right away I was like genuine human, um, amazing athlete. And your wife, Lexi was amazing too. And I was like, cool, we'll be friends. Um, we've since gone to dinner a few times, hung out. We did fire and ice together. That's what cemented it. Yeah. Fire and ice was like, yeah, you're like legit. And then I think I made you guys homemade chocolate. And I was like, well, that's like my best term of endearment. <laughs> like, you know, I really care for you if I make you food. Um, anyway. And so then, you know, our friendship has just blossomed and I've just been a huge fan of watching you navigate sports, navigate life and now fatherhood. Um, so just as a background, Connor is a NHL defenseman. And he's right now a free agent. So we'll see where his next home is. And he's a husband to Lexi. Who just got home. And baby Charlie, who just got home. And got and Connor's also a dad to Hoagie, the dog, who's uh, quite famous on your Instagram account. Yeah, um, for the quality of our sound today, we don't hear his fingernails scratching the floor in the background like yeah. he did for our podcast. That's it's positive. Fine. It's fine. We just have, this is this is real talk, real living here, podcast life. Um, so Connor, you know, I thought about having you on as a guest to the podcast for lots of reasons. Um, all the reasons I just said, but also I want to learn a little bit more about life for you growing up as a kid. Cause to me as an adult, I'm spending so much of my time unlearning like norms, expectations, what life should be. And I'm just peeling back the layers of life. And I know that it all goes back to what I was taught as a kid from the world and from, you know, parents and coaches and family members. So what was life like for you as a kid and um, how did it shape some of your core beliefs? First off, I want to say thank you for having me and for being a friend um, on your podcast. I think uh, it's pretty cool in adulthood with social media, you get to learn what values a person has and, and what drives them and, and a little bit of their modus operandi from you know the other side of the screen. And we were able to kind of audit whether we'd be friends or not really quickly, which in adulthood is, is quite cool and a success story. That's the other side of the coin of zombie scrolling. So Instagram we, 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 success. we got something out of it. <laughs> I don't know. As a kid, I was super competitive. Um, 
hockey was it for me. So I played other sports. I played baseball and golf a bit. I have two younger brothers. So I'm the oldest of three boys, all boys. Um, and the conversation, the expectation rather in our home was, uh, you're going to handle your sports and you're going to handle your schooling, uh, with excellence. And, uh, as the oldest, I was kind of shaped to, um, be the standard setter in our home. And I took that responsibility very seriously. Uh, you know, approval from, you know, dad was probably the bigger dreamer of the two parents. Mom was a bit more of the making sure the trains run on time. And if you had a missing homework assignment, you're going to talk to her. Um, the conversation with dad was more so, you know, someone's going to play in the NHL someday. Uh, why not you? And of course, when you start sports, a lot of the, um, character traits, uh, how to work within a team, uh, accountability, uh, how to work hard. Like those were all part of the message, uh, growing up. But I also got involved in like highly competitive hockey at a, at a very early, actually, and rather baseball for that matter. Um, we were on nationally ranked teams and, and the expectation was to be good uh, and very good. And for me personally, um, hockey was the one, and I didn't say this in the first take of the, the podcast, but hockey was the one where the highs were higher and the lows were way lower. So baseball was, it was interesting. It was like this fun expression. Um, it was very playful. I was kind of the joker in the lot in the dugout rather. Um, I thought a lot of these baseball guys were, you know, kind of soft in terms of the way they complained about injuries or they were tired compared to hockey, which just a grittier, colder, sweatier, more physically demanding sport. Um, but I mean, hockey really gripped me, um, at a young age. It, it really wasn't a conscious choice. It just kind of had my number. Mm. You mentioned before that, you know, your dad kind of had this expectation, like, well, one of you will play in the NHL. So was your dad one of the more influential people in driving your sense of excellence and approval in yeah, sports? For sure. He was, um, I love my dad for his, his, his sense of dream. His, he's a adamant lover of potential. Um, and he really did arm me with the tools to pursue that. And of course it came with a, a cost. There was a conversation in our home at a young age. I was, I was a you know, pretty gifted student. I was a pretty gifted athlete. I consider myself decently good looking. Um, <laughs> You're like I had a lot going for me as a kid and the expectation was, and the conversation really was to, you know, Connor, like you are special and you should, should, it's a powerful word, but should be able to add something really significant. Um, to the world. And so for sure, that gift of, of belief from others, you know, that support you could call it on one hand, uh, you know, encouraged me to, you know, dream big and, uh, beyond just hockey. I was very fortunate that that dream dreams worked out. So I haven't really had to entertain other things just yet. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are some of those, you know, two, 3 AM type nights where you're rolling over, not sleeping well. And you're doing the inner reflection, like, am I enough? Am I doing enough? Am I adding enough? Um, and that's definitely something that, you know, I, I'm still learning how to integrate into my late 20s now. 
So we talked about this a little bit before too. And I think in past conversations, we've talked about this. I feel like you and I are very similar in some ways. Like I remember growing up, um, youngest of seven kids, my dad played college basketball. It was just an expectation too. Like someone's going to be great in this family. And I was like, shall be me. <laughs> I shall try my best. And um, I was, I mean, I played college basketball. I didn't play pros. Um, adult recreational basketball is still very competitive. But I'll not, bet New York City for sure. Not quite some the same. Out there. So there's some ballers out there we play with. But um, anyway, so I just remember feeling as a young kid and tell me if you resonate with this, that like, I remember sitting with my sister in our basement in New Jersey, reading one of the books on my dad's shelf. It was like a Zen meditation book. And we were like 12. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I had this meta sense of understanding. I actually wasn't a good student. I was really good with like relationships and movement and fitness and like storytelling, but like math and sciences, man, I was like a C student, but I could really connect to like this meta spiritual sense of like, I'm 12 years old. My dad is my idol. I know basketball is the love of our lives. And like, if I don't make something out of this body and this, like this experience, if I don't like seize the day and like my, my life will be a waste, right? Like I have to use every ounce of potential in my body. And that's kind of how I approached training and like fitness and like team sports. And I had so much pressure on myself that it sometimes sabotaged my ability to execute and to enjoy. So I just want to know like how much of that resonates with you and like, and in your early days, in that really critical time of like you coming up on the national scene, and then now is like you've made the scene now as a pro player. I mean, I said something to myself. I was drafted uh, in 2012 to the Washington Capitals, playing for the uh, national team development program out of Ann Arbor. Uh, it was considered like Team USA. And I thought to myself, if I could just play one NHL game, I could die happy. And then I got to my second angel game. I'm like, you're an idiot. Oh. Like I, you're, you're, I'm so much hungrier for so much yeah. more that I, yeah. I, 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 which has been my nature for a long time that I, I underestimated um, my drive thereafter. And so I would say that the pressure to be my very best um, it, it does lie heavy. It is something that I often do discuss. And actually, as we're podcasting, like this is a, uh, there's chaos and order, right? So during the season, there's a lot of order. The schedule's set, your meals are set, uh, the bus is at this time, you know, everything's kind of, you're just, everything, uh, all your excuses are sort of put to the side and cast to the side and handled by the team so you can show up and perform, which is great. Right. But this is a little bit of a chaotic time where the schedule is, is different. Uh, it's a time for rest. Um, and you're sort of orchestrating this season plan, this off season plan for next year. And like, I'm already getting itchy to like <laughs> go out there and get after and throw the skates back on. And like, we don't play till October. Like it's been not even three weeks rather since, you know, our last day of the season. Um, and that's sort of how consistently, um, I enjoy the high of that sympathetic drive. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's something I wrestle with still. It's something that I can appear to have a really good handle on. Um, but it's not without great effort and, and like preparation, whether that's journaling, um, you know, some meditative practice, uh, but if those habits aren't upheld, 
and my natural state of um, performance anxiety kind of sets in, uh, you know, the, the kettle can start to boil. So you mentioned kind of like when you were young, if I could just play one NHL game, I could die happy. That's a, like the sweetest thing ever because I can totally, I'm sure many people can resonate. Yeah. Like if I ever just, maybe it's a different job or maybe it's like buying their first home then. And so it's this sort of aspirational sense of like, that will be the time that if I've, yeah, that I'm happy that I've succeeded. You get there. And of course you realize there's so much more, not only human development, but like relational and professional. And so I guess the question is, you know, it's not that that initial thought was bad. That was a great way to like create your vision. Mm-hmm. But will you ever have enough in sports? Like what would, what would you accomplish that would allow you to feel like I have done everything there is to do? I've accomplished everything. I don't think it's a statistical, uh, like, like a bow you can tie in your career. Um, and I've, I've gone through that now where I, I thought that that was what would right. make me feel uh, athletically like enough. Um, like I was, I was progressing and really it's very much more so in the verb and the adjective, like, what am I doing? How am I doing it? Mm-hmm. Uh, as a teammate, uh, for, for example, this past season was incredibly trying, um, had our first child. Uh, I've heard the stories where, you know, uh, X player leaves a team, uh, for their child. They have the child, they come back, like make it just to the game in time and score three goals and get in a fight. And like, they're the best player ever for that game. And, and that's the Cinderella story that, as an athlete, you want to aspire to. Um, that's not the season I had. It's very trying. I spent time uh, in the minors, a good chunk for really the first time since I've cemented myself in the National Hockey League. Uh, it was a particularly unique social situation in terms of, you know, sitting at home uh, between games with, with, you know, everything that went on around the world pandemic-wise. Um, but the how, I would say that, my professionalism, my ability to uh, have distance from the year and, and see it as a journey instead of like this gavel of judgment every single day. Um, I don't, I don't, I've never been more proud of myself after a season. Yay. Amazing. I love to hear that. It sounds like you're moving away from the what of your career and how your career shifts and shapes, which is really beautiful. And very zen of you. Well, I've taken yeah. responsibility, frankly, for the career that I, I want to have and, and kind of escape from that if then, you know, if I have the ice time I want, then I'll demonstrate the poise that I would, you know, think that would come with that. Uh, if I'm an important player on the team, then I'll be able to be the leader I want to be. Great. And I, you know, kind of dropped the titles with that. Amazing. You talked about the need to sort of satisfy this like sympathetic drive, which I think was probably, again, nature versus nurture. It's probably part of who you are. It's mm-hmm. also definitely how you were raised. Like um, oldest boy of the family, two brothers looking up to you. It was almost predestined that you were going to play in the NHL. I mean, it was like probably what you heard at the dinner table often. Um, so the sympathetic drive I get, it's part of like our survival. It's part of our biology. Um, but how do you balance that now? Like and, and do other athletes in your field pay as much attention to balancing the parasympathetic and the sympathetic? Again, if you're listening, sympathetic is like fight or flight, freeze or fawn, and then sympathetic is rest and digest. How do you, how do you think about that now? And how do you maintain that? So everyone like kind of knows the, the Beats commercial, right? Like player LeBron James or whomever uh, is going to the big game. They've got the headphones on. They're, they're getting what? 
They're getting pumped up, mm-hmm. getting pumped up, ready to play a big game. Uh, no one really shows the breath work after because the athlete can't sleep and it's 4.30 in the morning. They got to right. play again the next night. Right. Um, it's getting there. I think uh, players are, you know, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, it's an extremely challenging environment where you're changing time zones. You're getting in like many car crashes every night. Um, when it comes to like security, uh, <laughs> there really isn't any in pro sport. You're constantly reminded of how desirable your job is and how uh, many players are available to take it. Um, and if you want to get swept up in that narrative of how hard and how stressed and how nervous you should be all the time, uh, you may have an angel sweater with your name on it, uh, but you're not going to have a life that's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And this game starts out, it's a dream. Mm-hmm. You're a kid with a dream. And you're not exactly exposed to all the realities and details of that dream. And that's okay. You, mm-hmm. you don't need to know it. Um, but you also don't have to carry with you the same, you know, mindset you do. You, you played the game with when you were 16. You can, you can grow up and eventually start to really craft the, the type of person you want to be alongside your career. Right. So that brings me to my next question, which is, you know, I think we've talked about this a lot too, which is you're now in this space of like how I show up matters most unequivocally, like in relationships and in, on the ice, but, and, and you're like proactively doing things like meditation, breath work, like you walk the walk, right? Fire and ice. Um, how much of that do you think would have been helpful for you at 15, at 16? How much would that have changed your evolution, you think? I mean, I, I really think it's a competitive at advantage of the next athlete. I really do. Like, I've talked to some younger pros and younger players, and they are not stressed out when the coach yells at them mm. or when they turn a puck over. They see that the coach is just yelling at them because, honestly, they're stressed for their job. Um, and that shit runs downhill <laughs> in pro sport. Um, I really do think that it is the next wave of athlete. I think physically, I, I actually Instagram posted about this the other day. Uh, it was a clip about uh, Kobe Bryant. If you want to talk about like pressure on an athlete and, and playing in LA and, and, and um, the spiritual side of the game, the mental side of the game is a soft skill until it's not. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're scared. Mm-hmm. And you're out there and you're nervous and everything you've ever worked on is not accessible to you. Um, cause you're in freeze. Cause you're, you're in, in freeze. Yeah. You are totally terrified of the moment. Mm-hmm. You are, uh, extremely nervous and aware of yourself. Mm-hmm. That feeling. I mean, that's really what you're after. Peter Russo is a, a hockey consultant that I work a lot with. Actually, he'd be a phenomenal person to have uh, on the podcast. Wicked smart. Um, very well studied in all things uh, psychology. And he, he's, you know, got athletes as high up as the National Hockey League. And he does do this. He will talk with 15-year-olds about, hey, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't just go to the rink and go to school. Like, like maybe we should try some art today and, mm-hmm. and see how that feels. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you should write a letter to yourself uh, about how the game went before you play the game and, and what would be important to you. Um, and when you're able to sort of zoom out in a world that is, you know, sport is so focused, right. And, and, and so, um, limited really in their, in their scope, 
uh, it can be a superpower and you can kind of see the machine for what it is and, and without judgment actually appreciate its beauty. Yeah, I think that's also something that now as an adult, you can have that perspective on. Um, we've talked about this a bunch too, like when athletes like train, you know, it's like we, we have to do a hundred reps of something perfect until we can leave the court. I remember growing up and it was like, it was a, it was like a golden rule. Like you can't leave the basketball court until you swish a shot. Like it can't hit the rim. Like it has to be perfect all net and then you can walk away. And there's this funny thing on Instagram, some memes going around of like, you know, some guy just shooting around brick and he walks off and everyone's just like, no, like, how can you do yeah. that? So it's Nails interesting. On chalkboard. Like, absolutely not. And now I still find myself at 37. I have no commitments to any athletic institution anymore, anybody. And I still have to leave the court with like a perfect swoosh. It could be like a little two footer or a three pointer. And I'm like, okay, like it's this sense of completion. But anyway, I guess I'm kind of getting at the sense of play, the sense of like um, being playful with the game, which now you're aware that you want to cultivate more. As a kid, I think you probably did it inherently, but again, it was more like statistical driven. Like if I get to the NHL, if I get to the national league, when I get to Michigan, then I'll be successful. How do you think about being playful in such a serious competitive environment in your training and in the games? Like, can you access that? You can, uh, it takes work and generally a partner. Um, you need a sort of pro, uh, a team environment that at least allows you some freedom to like do your thing. Like I, I literally played for a coach where after practice was over, they would kick you off the ice. Like, hey, my uh, requirement for you for the day is over, and therefore your day is over. There was no agency on what each individual, you know, grown men, players, uh, you know, many of them with thousands of games, um, to decide on what they needed to prepare. And I, you know, frankly found that environment extremely stifling. But now that I've gotten older and I've recognized that, like, no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and be like, Hey, it's okay to start leading now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's okay to start being yourself. Mm -hmm. And then I realized the gravity of, Oh my God, my entire career could go over, could go by me and I could miss it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I can miss the opportunity to really, you know, let my shoulders down and, and be myself. Um, and then I've, I've kind of learned a lot about this concept of permission where now that I've done that, I've seen the permission it's granted other players and I cannot believe that an earlier, at an earlier age, I did not get out of my way. Mm -hmm. So you asked, you know, about 15, 16 year old Connor. I used to joke that, you know, showcase locker rooms at the U S team. Uh, it was like this initially, you know, before we all became friends, like you get in a new locker room, it, it's like dogs meeting each other. Like you're, you're, you're trying to figure out who the alpha is. You're sniffing asses. And then it's and a lot it's, of ego it, there. It's yeah. this ego thing. Yeah. Um, and it's all, noise. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've learned to drop that and really like what convinced me to do that where I felt comfortable was like, Connor, they're going to know you're weird eventually. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> just, just drop the shtick. Like, you know, you're not fooling anybody. Um, the secret's going to be out eventually. So that's where I started to settle in. I love it. It sounds like earlier on in your career. Um, and actually when I was on your podcast, you mentioned the story of like not wanting to celebrate your first goal because it was like such a serious moment and you had to be like, the alpha guy or whatever the thing was. I going wanted to on. be like too cool for school, right? Yeah. Like it, it wasn't enough to just have success. Right. You had to have success and oh, by the way, not be impressed by it. Yeah. Yeah. You had to act like, like, yeah, I'm already that guy. Um, 
So you said, you know, you talked about permission, like that the more you allow yourself to be you, to be Connor, to eat your organic meals on the road and drink your like amazing coffee in the morning, all these things that make you you, it granted other people permission to show up as themselves. Do you kind of see this as being a bit of like a, maybe you're leading the way or other people are doing this too, is like, are our professional sports shifting the way in which people show up in the locker room? Or is it more... Is it more genuine? Is it more real? Is it more relationship oriented? Or is there still so much ego and so much like um, persona, you know, sort of showing up? There is, there is some ego and persona because a lot of athletes find great success with sort of having this uh, self-prescribed alter ego, right? Um, this is who I am when I, you know, step in between the lines. This is who I am when I put the gear on. This is how I play. Um, and that's fine. And that's, I, I get it. If, if that's what you feel you need to have success, like all learning is self-learning, I'm not going to convince you otherwise. Um, you're on your own journey there. What I've noticed personally is the best players in the game have this sort of like who they are and how they play is kind of one, right? So I play with a guy, uh, in Washington, Nick Backstrom as a person was unbelievably poised, uh, extremely uh, calm, good-natured, um, and that's how he played. He saw everything. He was he, unflappable out there. Uh, Alex Ovechkin's a huge, sorry to name drop, but he was you know a huge name. Um, he kind of is as advertised. He's this big, uh, rambunctious, extremely explosive, passionate, goal scorer and like that's who he is as a person and it comes out in his play um so i i think it's shifting because i think players understand now the energy leak that is the facade of like playing a character all day um and and having to remember like oh how how would you know rink connor how would hockey connor respond to this um and I think in a game where energy and, uh, you know, passion and, and vigor for life is such an asset, um, that players are stepping into that because, because what I used to see and, and still do the NHL season is it's a grind. It is trying. You look around a locker room in January, you will see a lot of, uh, very injured and underslept and chronically stressed individuals. Um, I don't think you need to add on to that, uh, this pressure to pretend all the time. I love this. I'm a big fan of not pretending. <laughs> um, I kind of am who I am. And as I think about this in my own life, like not a professional athlete, but as a human and, you know, in the healthcare world and um, in my relationship, it's like the more I try to posture and be someone I'm not over the years, the more exhausted I am. I kind of think of it as like this breach of integrity. You know, if I walk into a room and I'm trying to be someone I'm not at like a meeting or pretend I know something, I think maybe I did that years ago. And I just found I kept running into this wall of like fatigue and it was like an emotional drain. So it makes sense to me. I'm not a professional athlete, but it makes sense that the best athletes in the world simply are who they are. And, and as they get older, they become more aware of who they are. Right. And it becomes easier to do that. Actually, I think if you watch, like, I don't know uh, some of the players you're mentioning as well as you do, but if you watch someone like Kobe, when he was young, he was trying to figure out who he was. He had a very different persona than he did at 21 than he did at 35. And he just became more fluid 
as he became older. And that was really cool to see. And I'm sure it's just like, it's all like a big metaphor for his, his and your evolution. Like the more you become who you are, the more successful you can become. And the success doesn't necessarily mean that you score four goals, but it means that you have like a sense of like feeling grounded on the ice and grounded at home, you know, and things flow easier. So uh, Peter Russo, I talked about earlier, uh, him and I talk a lot about this, like your best version of you already is you like it, like it's inside of you. It's not going to come from, you know, some magic fairy or from outside of you. Now you just need to step into that person. Now you just need to become them. And like mm-hmm. your destiny there, like there is no timetable. Like you will be that person when you're ready yeah. and, and when there's time. And, um, you know, Kobe, I think is a tangible example because he's a big enough story that people have put a mic in front of microphone in front of his face and asked him how yeah. he's had, you know, all the success. I just recently sent a podcast. Uh, I think it was George Mumford uh, with Tim Ferriss was a mindfulness coach to, you know, MJ and uh, Kobe. And he, he was talking about like, uh, Kobe, I've watched your game a lot. Um, when you're trying to score, you can't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you just play the game, you end up scoring a ton. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to people who are non-athletes and or don't understand what that might actually feel like in a game in terms of making your reads, uh, that sounds abstract and almost... Um, counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're going to find in the next evolution of player, a resilience to pressing, a resilience to slumps, uh, that eras of players prior to them, um, frankly, couldn't handle because sports is always getting better. Yeah. It, the game is always getting better with more and more talented athletes. Um, and that's the beauty of it. You're either going to keep up or eventually you know, be without a job. I love that you said the best version of you is already in you from Peter Russo. So I guess what I, what I think about on the school of unlearning is we, when we unlearn, we become more of who we are. Like every time I shed like a cultural belief or like, um, an expectation of financial income or all these things I thought I had to have as a young kid to be successful. Um, the more I'm just becoming me and I'm shedding sort of the world that, you know, I was born into so what are you at this stage in your career and as a person, what are you unlearning? What are you trying to still shed that is like still gnawing at you from maybe childhood or societal norms? Um, a, a, a phrase I've been focusing on lately is the word uh, simple and easy. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I feel like someone's like, squeegeed or like zambonied my brain like it, it just feels like a, a, a releasing of all the stress um and because that really is hockey at its finest there really is life at its um at its finest like how can i approach what i'm doing and execute in the simplest way what am i perceiving as hard and what would be the easiest form of being able to move forward with this? Um, and that allows for space to sort of just be and just do. So, for example, uh, one of the key piece of, pieces of advice, I played really good at the end of the season. Um, I got an NHL call up and, you know, played really, really well. Team was able to go on a, a good little win streak. It, it, it might have been uh, pretty important for, you know, the 
way my career might have started off or looked to start off next year. And like one of the major focuses that I was considering was don't carry your shoulders. That was it. That was like my only thought on the ice. And because if I just went from here to here, mm-hmm. now I'm like, the game plays itself. Yeah. Right? Up here is great tensity, um, or tension rather. And your, your best self isn't going to flow, right? I, I called it, don't carry your shoulders and belly button hands. So my hands were near my belly button. And you kind of can very easily move as one piece like that. Um, just that focus allowed me to focus. I didn't need to focus on anything else. I wasn't, uh, so for example, um, maybe when I was younger, I used to sort of separate the game into like what I would consider a high occurrence events, right? Like, uh, as a defense and you've got to gap up a lot, which means, you know, nothing to most of your listeners. Right. But, uh, I, that's a big part of my game. I just got to gap up, gap up, gap up. And then if I do that, uh, I can close quick in the D zone, which again means next to nothing to most of our listeners versus if I just didn't carry my shoulders and I had belly button hands, all of those things sort of took care of themselves. Um, so how can I make this simple and how can I make this easy? So I love that. Basically, I love that. Basically what you're doing is you're evolving from a place of like, again, coaching and telling yourself to repeat these gap up terms, which I'm sure means something really important in hockey, but you already know how to do that. You've done that like millions of times. And what you, what is new for you from like a neural pathway and habitual response, uh, a parasympathetic response is to just lower your shoulders. It sounds like as you're getting more seasoned in your career and as a person, you're becoming, um, you're, you're actually strengthening what I call your body, um, uh, body EQ. Mm-hmm. So you have a body emotional intelligence, bodily emotional intelligence, where you're like allowing your body to just show up as it's supposed to in sort of a more relaxed state so that you can execute. You know, you don't have to learn gap up anymore. No. You just have to learn to allow yourself to do that instinctually. Um, so I love that. That's a really cool, like tangible example. Actually, you know, I feel like everyone listening should just like re- relax yeah. their shoulders and like adjust their posture. Um, I had another friend on this podcast, Jill Payne, and she's an energy management coach and speaker. And she has something called body focused dialogue. And for anyone looking to shift anything in their life, she works with athletes and corporations, like check your body. Like, where is your body? You know, like that tells you everything. And it could also be movement. What are you focused on and what's your dialogue around that? So I kind of thought about that because that's a little simple somatic shift, but it, it does like wonders for execution. So Connor, one thing I'm thinking around is like, as I look at your career and your progression as a human, as an ath- and as an athlete, I'm seeing your ability to kind of remove yourself from playing hundred percent of a head game where you're just in your head all the time. And your last comment around like, don't carry your shoulders really speaks to the fact that you're embodying like having an, having an EQ of the body. Like you're actually developing a bodily intelligence, which is huge. Um, and different from being strong and muscular and agile, it's the connecting the two, you know, the brain and the body. So tell me a little bit about more and like how you've been tapping into developing more of the EQ of the body. Well, you can't think your solution to a game that's so feel and flow state based. So I have an interesting story when I was traded to, uh, to Toronto, I was playing the NHL for the Leafs and we had, you know, it's a, it's a big name city. I'm a young kid trying to make a first impression uh, that matters in the hockey world after you get traded. Big name head coach, you know, it was tough to play for big name 
uh, general manager, you know, um, Lou Lamarillo, who's, you know, kind of a, a very famous uh, figure in hockey. And I, I'm doing fine. Like I'm, I'm swimming, I'm surviving in the league. Um, it wasn't my first games in the league. I had broken in a couple of years prior, but I'm, I'm just playing fine. And, uh, I remember I was dealing with like cramping, which I'd never done before in my career, like severe in-game, you know, muscle roll-ups and that, like a calf cramp in bed. Um, and I, it really was showing up in my body as like equipment issues. I'm like, oh, my skates don't feel right. My stick doesn't feel right. My gloves don't feel right. Something doesn't feel right. And then after my little leaf stint, I got sent down to the Toronto Marlies. Now at that time I was like coming off, I was an AHL all-star that year. So I was going down the American league, the minors. I was an AHL all-star the, uh, the year before. Like I, I had had great success at this league. And overnight I jumped on the ice the next day. All the equipment issues were gone because hmm. uh, I'm playing for the Toronto Marlies now. Mm-hmm. And really what it was, it was like my body knew somewhere it was safe. It was somewhere it could explore, it was somewhere it was creative. Right. Um, and that was like one of the first cues that like, okay, Connor, like your current handle on your mental game, on your nervous system, there's a flag here because otherwise those issues would have transferred from the National Hockey League to the AHL because it was only 24 hours that separated, you know, what league I wore my gear for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, so learning further into my career, how to get into the body, how to get into uh, fun, a, a place of flow uh, versus force. Um, I'd kind of, you know, been able to grip my teeth and get through things prior to my career. But like, at some point the game gets so good and the, and the competition gets so good that like what got you to this point may not be to, may not be where, what helps you get to where you actually want to go next. I think that might be a good pivot point, like in terms of what we're learning and then unlearning. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, first of all, I love that you say feeling safe. So you feeling safe. I talk about this a lot. Is that like safety, uh, barring like someone physically attacking you is not uh, an external thing. Psychological safety is an inside job. It sounds like over the years, you're just cultivating that more and more through all kinds of different modalities, probably just through like life experience too. You're like, look, I can't, like you said, you can't think your way into flow state. So I think you're realizing that. So bravo, my Thank friend. You. Thank you. I'm, I'm proud of you. And also it just brings you a hell of a lot more joy and not ironically success. Um, so I want to close with my last question. I ask everyone this question. Um, the school of unlearning is a conversations of curious and adventurous people who are challenging status quo and shedding the life that the world told them to live. So I'd love to know what your definition of unlearning is. Definition. Well, I'll start with a a ramble and hopefully underneath it'll come a definition. So Peter Russo, I've dropped a a bit in this podcast, but he's been very influential on me. He talks about, uh, you know, like the three stages. I think this is a Bruce Lee concept of a punch. And he said, you know, one, uh, a punch is just a punch. Step two, uh, a punch is more than just a punch. And then step three, a punch is just a punch. And I was in step two, breaking the game down, uh, compartmental, uh, compartmentalizing it, uh, making the game small, dissecting, um, you know, my life, viewing the game as separate from, you know, me and my life experience. And, and, what I would say the definition of unlearning is for me, 
it, it's a blend of simplifying while also taking on a greater degree of agency in my life. That's what I am learning that I'm capable of doing. I am unlearning the fact that um, other people have power mm. over me, mm-hmm. that coaches have mm-hmm. uh, power over me. I am unlearning that um, I always know in the moment what is good or bad mm-hmm. because that is subject to change based on future events. Um, you know, I, I, I forget there was a young kid uh, in the devil's organization. He asked me, he goes, you know, Connor, how do you stay positive all year? And I laughed. I was like, I don't. Yeah. Um, right. When's the last time, you know, you ever felt, you know, really positive the entire year? That's, Wouldn't want to feel that's like unfathomable. That. Yeah. And I said, and also what is, how do you always know what's positive? I was like, you know, for, let's look back at my career. I started out as a Washington Capitol at 19. That might've been too young. Might've been uh, detrimental to my development. So good. I'm in the NHL, but maybe it was bad long-term, but who am I to really know? So fast forward a couple of years, I get traded to Toronto, which is great because, you know, Washington kind of was capped out. But I go to Toronto and play for, you know, uh, it was a coach that was a tough fit. Um, you know, really mentally went through uh, some difficult things uh, and get traded out to Dallas, which is great. I'm super excited. But then Dallas wasn't necessarily a great fit. And actually, a lot of the things that I learned about myself in Toronto are great strengths and probably a, a massive part of the reason we're even talking today. Um, so, so maybe the Toronto thing was actually really good and maybe yeah. the Dallas thing yeah. was bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, then I break my leg, which was a horrible thing in Dallas. I'm super bummed about this surgery. Um, but it eventually leads to me getting traded to New Jersey and I meet some of my best friends of all time. And, you know, here I am, you know, two and a half years later. So it's like the present is always changing our stories about the past. Like we have the ability to change the past because we have a different relationship with it based on our, our present day. And right. I love that. That's right. That's right. Leave that. I love it. That's a mic drop moment. And what I would say is you just, you just said simplify an agency to simplify your life and to realize that you have agency, not anyone else. And what I'm hearing is like Connor gets to decide what success feels and looks like you get to create the meaning. Maybe the first half of your life, it was determined for you. Or so you thought, and and now you're in this space of like, no, I get to, I get to decide that, which is a really beautiful place to be. And I'm, I'm excited to watch you keep playing in this space. So good work, my friend. Thank you. Lisa. Can't wait to visit you in whatever city. You must, you must whatever, yeah, we'll, bring we'll, chocolate. We'll make chocolate. We'll talk about life and, you know, contem- dance and con- sing and contemplate UFOs. Cause that's apparently happening now. I don't horizon, know. Yeah. I have no idea. Thank you so much for being a guest and, um, Yeah. More to come. Always, always. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Wow. What an episode that kind of felt like a masterclass in life. I also felt like a masterclass in losing and finding your voice. One of my favorite things Connor shared with us is his definition of unlearning. Um, The question of how can I make this simple? How can I make this easy? Uh, Obviously, super applicable to many areas of our lives. Um, I hope you found this episode to be really helpful, uh, really nourishing, and hopefully uh, buzzworthy. So please share it with your friends and family. If you want to learn more about Connor and you should, cause he's kind of a gem of a human and uh, a stud on the ice, please visit him at Connor Carrick on Instagram. And he has his own podcast. It's called the curious competitor and it's available on iTunes and Spotify. See you next time. Hey friends. Thanks for listening to the school of unlearning podcast. You can follow us on Spotify and iTunes. 
Be sure to check out the show notes, complete with links and insight you won't want to miss. If you enjoyed this episode, take one minute to rate, review, and share this podcast. Because our learning and unlearning never ends, and we don't have to do it alone.